good morning. For those that are joining us online, good morning as well. We're turning in our Bibles now to Psalm 146. As we're turning there, what we need to understand now as we turn to this last portion of the Psalms in this two-year study is that Psalms 146 through Psalm 150 have been known historically as the Alleluia Psalms. Alleluia Psalms. The reason for this is that each of these psalms begins with the words, praise the Lord, and end with the words, praise the Lord. And in the Hebrew, the word that is used is alleluia. Now, if you and I were to take the word alleluia and break it down into two parts, the alle carries with the idea of praise ye. Then there is Yah. Hallelujah. Yah is simply an abbreviation for Yahweh. So now you pull that together, and what you have is simply Hallelujah and praise ye the Lord. And furthermore, what you and I explored last week was that the title of Psalm 145 in many ways was a segue into what we are covering now uh, today and in the coming weeks because the title of that was a song of praise of David. So now what we find is that David, that was his last composition, the lost song that he, that he offered to God it was the culmination, it was the climax, if you will, of all that he was about. He didn't write about his achievements. He did not write about his, his discouragements. No. In his final song, it was a praise to the Lord, which now leads us then into Psalms 146 through 150, the Alleluia Psalms, the Praise Ye the Lord Psalms. So we're going to pull all that together, and we're going to ponder that today in the coming weeks, where in Psalm 146, you and I now explore these words together. Praise the Lord, or in the Hebrew, Alleluia. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. 
The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And then he ends as he had begun. Hallelujah. In other words, praise the Lord. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. And so, Father, what we're going to do now is to, by your guidance and grace, explore what it means to live a life that is a continual expression of praise to the Lord. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. Come here now to see Jesus, Him only. I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was game five of the 1988 World Series. It was the Oakland Athletics against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and on the mound for L.A. was Oral Hershiser. It had been an extraordinary year, Hershiser's. He, the one his manager, Tommy Lasorda, nicknamed Bulldog. He'd already won the Cy Young, Gold Glove, MVP of the National League, and to be named MVP of the World Series. In the final game, what stood out is that Hershiser, and it's so typical of a starting pitcher who goes late into the game, positioned himself the far side of the dugout away from everybody else so that he could maintain his focus upon what it is that he was to do. But what caught the attention of the cameraman and left the announcers scratching their heads is that Hershiser, sitting alone, his mouth, his lips were continuously moving. And they're trying to decipher just what it was he was, he was expressing. Well, we would soon find out because the very next day, one day later, he made an appearance on The Tonight Show, which at that time was hosted by Johnny Carson, Ed McMahon Company, you see. And Carson wasn't going to let that opportunity slip by, and so he asked Hershiser just what it was that Hershiser was doing. And Hershiser said, I was singing somewhat bashfully. Well, that's all that needed to be said. And because at that point then, everybody began to chant for Hershiser to sing. And Johnny Carson, as he saw Hershiser shaking his head no, saying, there's no way I'm going to sing, Carson responded, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> and 
Within moments, the crowd silenced themselves. The entire studio went quiet. All eyes, all ears belong to Hershiser. Then with a humble spirit, he began to sing the following song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Someone in the crowd immediately stood up and began to applaud. And as Carson sat there utterly stunned, the rest of the crowd joined in applause. And unbeknownst to Carson, God had set up an opportunity for Carson to develop an opportunity, if you will, for the world to get an evangelistic moment the day after the World Series ended with a man who wanted to offer praise to the Lord. When opportunity presents itself in the most extraordinary moments, even when we might be prone to be rather reluctant, look for opportunities to give praise to the Lord. Now, what you and I find here is that the psalmist, Psalm 146, is going to bookend the Alleluia of life. Praise the Lord. And if you and I were to develop, and hopefully we develop, a lifelong expression of Alleluia, then what I want to do this morning with you as we explore online together in the coming days, perhaps, is to draw out now four distinctive elements of how to live a life that gives praise to the Lord. And the first comes out of verses 1 and 2, and we're going to put it like this, that as you and I, as we offer praise to our Lord, I want to begin here by noting with you what I'm going to call the durational aspect of this praising the Lord that we have to maintain. And I'll show you where we get that, because when we read praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, I will praise the Lord as long as I live, that's duration. And furthermore, at the end of verse 2, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being Again, the emphasis is upon the durational aspect of your life and my life from the moment by which we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ to that final breath, we are offering praise to the Lord even in the most unique, distinctive moments when God gives us opportunity to do so like a hushizer, when you were least expecting it, 
The world needs to understand the Alleluia of your life. Begin to develop this with me. Alleluia, praise the Lord. Now, again, in the Alleluia, it ends with Yah, which is an abbreviation of Yahweh. And so now we praise the one who is sovereign over all, but Yahweh is the covenantal relational name for our sovereign one who desires for you and desires for me to have a personal relationship with him through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the exclusive means of salvation. This is the relational name for God who's opening himself up to relationship with us. And we respond, Alleluia, praise the relational God of the universe. Praise the Lord. And now what I want to do with you is to explore together in verse 1 the depth of such praise. With verse 2, the degree of such praise. Because at the end of verse 1, notice the depths of our being. That from the inner recesses of who we are. Alleluia, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So now what we find is that when we're offering praise to God collectively, corporately in worship. This is not mere lip service. We're engaging with the sovereign one, the cosmic ruler of the universe who has opened himself to relationship with us through Jesus Christ. And what is to be our response to this kind of relational God, a God who desires relationship with you, with me? that not merely from the lips, but from the depths of our soul. We praise the Lord. We alleluia him. Now this is an extraordinary thing. It means then that even when you and I find ourselves in the depths of difficulties, even when we're challenged by the depths of of the trials of life, there's an alleluia that needs to move from soul to lips. There's an extraordinary missionary, Alan Gardner, experienced a lot of physical difficulties, hardships in his service to the Lord. And despite his troubles, he said, quote, while God gives me strength, Failure will not daunt me, unquote. At the age of 57, the biographer tells us he died of disease and starvation while serving on Picton Island, the southern trip, tip of South America, and when his body was found, his diary was lying nearby. And it bore record of hunger, thirst, wounds, incredible, intense loneliness. What was the last entry in his diary? 
With shaking hand, it's obvious. As he tried to write legibly, it reads, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I give him all praise. Here is a man that in the extremes of life did not allow for the extremes of life to tamper with what takes place in the inner recesses of the soul of his life. Because within that soul, that soul was so saturated with the goodness of God, rooted in the grace of God, that with the evangelistic fervor, if you will, he, he expresses from the depths praise to this relational God who loved him so much, sent Jesus to die for his sins. Alleluia, O my soul, exclamation point. But now what you do and what I do is we take the depths of verse 1 and we connect it to the degree in verse 2, where now he says, I will alleluia, I will praise the Lord, Here's the degree, as long as I live. Now, you cannot express that, hallelujah, to that degree until you've experienced that to that great depth. Once you establish such depth in your soul, then you can extend it out and offer hallelujahs to the extent of your life, what I will call at this point then, maintaining the durational aspect of offering praise to our Lord. In other words, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. See how personal he's got it? And to repeat, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So now you take the depth of verse 1, the degree of verse 2, and you do not allow the depths of the trials of life and the degrees of the trials of life to tamper with the depth of praise within your soul, the alleluia center in the beginning of verse 1 with the degree of the alleluia at the end of verse 2. Depth shapes degree, Wesley understood it. John Wesley lay on his deathbed at the age of 88, and everyone who gathered around him in that final day realized how well he had learned the lesson of praising the Lord in every circumstance. And so what did he sing? despite extreme weakness on that last day, in those last moments, he began singing this hymn, quote, I'll praise my maker while I've breath, unquote. This helps me. Does it help you? It inspires us to live well. And how do you live well? 
you allow the depth of alleluia to shape the degree of alleluia over the course of your life. So this then becomes a continual approach even when you are experiencing one difficulty after another. You are Lord-focused. Not trials of life-focused. As we offer praise to our Lord, you and I began in verse 1 with the, what I'll call the durational aspect that we maintain where we've combined now the depth of verse 1 to the degree in verse 2, connected them together, and that's what creates durational traction in your alleluia of living. Now, once we've grasped that, we're on to verses 3 and verse 4, where the second element of what I will call Alleluia living comes out. The second of all, as we offer praise to our Lord, note furthermore what I'll call the, politi the political perspective that we possess. You start with the durational aspect. Now he does something in the area of contrast for you and for me. Notice what he says in verse 3. Do not put your trust in princes. It's almost as if he pauses at this point. Picks it up again. And a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. At that point, you speed dial into the book of Acts. Herod was angry in Acts 12 with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord Having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod, we are told, in verse 21 of Acts 12, put on his royal robes, took his seat upon a throne, delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, quote, the voice of a god and not of a man. In Acts 12, verse 23, you and I are told, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory. He did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Yet we are told, the word of God increased and multiplied. He breathed his last. How did Wesley breathe his last? I'll praise my maker while I've breath. Now, your mind and my mind then go back to classic 
passages throughout the Bible where we distill perspective on this subject, such as, as we covered in a prior time, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 22, verse 28. Or, for not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes the lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another pertaining to the rulers throughout history. Again, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Nebuchadnezzar learned this when he had to respond with these words. He, the one who had such a wide empire, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And that puts the political realm in proper perspective when we frame it in the biblical aspects of an alleluia approach to life. The Soviet Union is mourning the death of Joseph Stalin decades upon decades upon decades ago. But what is interesting is that out of that atheistic philosophy of communism, emerged Stalin's daughter Svetlana, who in her book, Only One Year, recounts the experiences that led her from the emptiness of atheism in the Soviet Union to faith in Jesus Christ. In the 35th year of her life, she began to develop an awareness of God's presence and writes, I looked for words that could express this new sensation of my, of my sense of the presence of God and found it in the Psalms. Nowhere have I found words more powerful than those in the Psalms. Their fervid poetry cleanses, gives one strength, brings such hope in moments of darkness, makes one look critically into oneself, convicts self, washes one's heart clean. It is the ever-burning fire of love, of gratitude, of humility, coming out of grace by which we offer God our praise. Out of this, she had her alleluia moment and she put the political in proper perspective. What we have to understand is that as we, if you were with us you know, a few years ago, when we were exploring in a two-year study in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the relationship of the church, that budding church that was beginning to expand throughout the world, we noted the tension between what we describe as uppercase versus lowercase authority. 
God is uppercase authority. Government is lowercase authority. The challenge in this secularized world is when we flip the cases and lowercase becomes uppercase and uppercase becomes lowercase. And then what we find at that point is that we have a tension in the whole realm of says who when you're dealing with matters such as abortion. Says who in matters such as euthanasia in Western Europe at this time. In other words, with the says who question is the ethical dilemma of who has the authority to say what is absolute truth, you see. But out of all this, when you and I put in proper perspective uppercase versus lowercase matters of authority, then we're able to embrace such matters as the sanctity of human life Sunday and understand how God, the sovereign one, is the creator of all things. Reminded that old story of a newly elected politician visiting Washington, D.C., trying to get a lay of the land. Went to a home of one of the ranking senators. And as they stood together, they went outdoors, looking over the Potomac River. There was this old rotten, deteriorating log floating by in view. Well, the elderly senator said to the young senator, quote, this city is like that log out there, unquote. And the fledgling politician asked, well, how's that? And the older senator responded, well, you see, there are probably over 100,000 grubs, ants, bugs, and all kinds of critters on that old log as it floats down the Potomac. I imagine every one of them thinks that he's steering it. But then a Nebuchadnezzar, who at one time thought he was steering it, would cry out, the most high rules, the kingdom of men, gives it to whom he will, sets over it the lowliest of men. And God can sometimes put in position people that you nor I think is deserving of such position. But God has his purposes. Meanwhile, what God is saying to you and me is don't put your trust there. Do not put your trust in princes, in a son of man, a son of Adam, if you will, in whom there is no salvation. Because in secular society, when we get the two cases, uppercase authority and lowercase authority confused, then in the confusion, there is a distorted view of where salvation is found. And then they seek salvation in government rather than in God. If only I get that particular political program enacted. If only I get that particular politician, put that particular judge on the court, well then we can experience the salvation politically that we desire. And all that person has done is confuse the cases between uppercase and lowercase, 
failing to take into account in verse 4, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. And the one who's on the Alleluia journey of life understands. And furthermore, in this whole matter of trust, understands the relationship between truth and trust. Because when truth breaks down, trust breaks down. But then along came the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and puts in perspective his eternal realm. For when Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? I love the way Jesus answered questions. The questions. And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Another question. Your own people, chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, You're a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I've come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? You get the sense of cynicism there? But when truth breaks down, trust breaks down. And that's why we need such integrity in the realm of ultimate leadership. And in our Alleluia journey, we tie together the durational aspect with the political perspective and then march right into verse 5 down through verse 2nd to the first part of verse 7 with what I'm going to say thirdly, the creational insights that we value because then and notice how it begins to read. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Right after contrasting the limitation of the political sphere, then everybody's raising their hands and saying, then where does my help come from? And he says, so let me take you to the cosmic realm, the eternal realm. I want you to see the relationship between help and hope. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, the God of Jacob is the covenantal God. Verse 6 describes the creational God. Watch the who's beginning to emerge. Whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them? Who keeps faith forever? Who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food for the hungry? The creational side of things. Now you pull together the covenantal as it relates to salvation. Verse 5, 
with the creational. And now you think what it means to be a new creation person out of verse 6. And then my mind goes to the great scientist Johann Kepler, who was committed to letting the heavens declare the glory of God. And throughout his scientific work, never seeking glory for himself, always seeking to bring glory to him, that at the end of his life, when he had maintained traction and demonstrated duration, would then be able to say in his final prayer, I give you thanks, Creator God, that you have given me this joy in your creation, and I rejoice in the works of your hands, so I have now completed the work to which I have been called. In it, I have used all the gifts you have given me, lent to my spirit to offer praise to you and to you alone. This man's got traction. Now, you've moved then in your alleluia journey, taking into account the duration of one and two, the political in three and four, the creational in five through the verse, first part of verse seven. How does it all end? With what I'm going to describe fourthly is the providential care that you and I, that we experience. Watch how God cares for his people. The Lord sets the prisoners free. It's grace. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. It's grace. The Lord lifts up those, you see, who are bowed down. That's grace. And when you and I begin to pull all that together, grace comes in the most special places. Pacific Garden, Mission, Chicago. A buddy of mine this week, I was sharing the gospel with him on the phone. He gives, interestingly enough, to Pacific Garden Mission. It's a place where you, they provide food, clothing, shelter, and a warm welcome to needy street people in Chicago. But more than anything else, it offers hope through salvation in Christ. It's there with Sarah Clark and her husband when they founded this mission, and they would walk the streets of Chicago, passing out small cards that summed up the ministry with these words, hope for all who enter underneath Pacific Garden Mission, and then the address. And when I lit, think about the Lord sets the prisoners free, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, my mind goes then to John Troy, a son of a very gifted European physician, lawmaker. But Troy, he was penniless, adrift, immersed in alcohol, far from family, without money, unable to speak English well. 
but walked into Pacific Garden Mission, was exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, came to saving faith in Christ, began to understand that God loves such people, went to Moody Bible Institute and became an evangelist, traveling not only the states but the world, sharing the good news that the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. And now you bring your alleluia journey to this point of verse 10. Contrast this to the political realm described in the opening verses. The Lord will reign forever. This is eternal, not temporal. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And then he bookends it and ends as he began. It's the Alleluia on the journey of life. Praise the Lord. There's no way I'm singing, Hirschheiser responded. Oh, yes, you are, Johnny Carson said. And then, humbly, what emerged from the lips was obviously residing within the soul, the heart. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's stand together. You have created an alleluia journey for us. not meant to be episodic. This is meant to be continual expression from the soul that emerges from the lips but lived out day in, day out in the trials of life, the difficulties of life, the challenges of life, that we've got to find our alleluia, even the days in which we've got a broken alleluia on our hands. We still sing alleluia. So, Father, for the one watching online, if he or she has not yet put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, remind them that Jesus Christ has entered into brokenness, die in our place for our sins. For prior service, for this service, for those watching in days and weeks to come, I pray now that what we find is that we have been placed on an alleluia journey where we are going to find ways to express from our souls through our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and give you all praise. There are some unexpected opportunities awaiting us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.